Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. We start this last word on Spurs show with some very, very sad news. We've heard of the passing of a Tottenham Hotspur legend in Ray Clements. Now, we've had the wonderful Paul Coit joining us on the last word on Spurs over the course of this past week. And we want to get Paul's thoughts of a man that he knows very, very well, became a close friend. Paul, very, very sad news. Devastating news. Yep. A man that was so popular amongst the Tottenham Hotspur family. I mean, Paul, terrible, isn't it? What do you make of the news Ray Clements passing? Really, really sad. Unfortunately, it's it, it's something that probably we thought was going to be coming. I mean, the man, I've got to tell you, for, as a player, um, an absolute born winner. And, and I was talking to, to Paul Miller, actually, just about a week or so ago. And this is obviously before we'd lost Ray. And we were just talking about him, and he said, "You know, the the thing about Clem is an absolute winner." And when he came to Spurs, we we've discussed this before about how important it is to have to winners in the dressing room. But he'd come from Liverpool, came into Tottenham, and the thing is, it was at the height of his powers when he was playing at Liverpool, and then came here because he'd always said to me, "Is that he? I think it was he sat in the dressing room." Um, after winning the European Cup of the Champions League there with Liverpool. And he sat there with a cup in his hand and he had champagne in the cup and everybody was everybody was cheering, everybody was happy and going crazy. And he thought, what what now? I've done this, what now? So then the Spurs thing had happened. There was talk about the fact it was Glenn had been speaking to him and he loved the idea of coming to Spurs and it suited him. So then he came in, um, 82, and the thing is, I'd always make the joke with Ray saying, yeah, yeah, you come down because the thing is you're fed up with winning something and then you go and win a bloody FA Cup straight away. You must have hated that. And he said, no, it was so special because it was with a different club and it meant the world. And um, he really, truly loved Spurs. Of course he had a love for Liverpool because, you know, that that was where he made his name and won most of his trophies at Liverpool. But let's not forget that he's he played like over 350 games for Tottenham. So this is this is serious. This is a proper Spurs legend. And we're known for great goalkeepers. You know, if you go back to, yeah, way back to Ted Ditchburn and Bill Brown and for me, the, the great Pat Jennings. And then 
then we had uh, Milia, didn't we? We had Milia Alexic, bless him, and, and, and Mark Kendall, and there was Barry Danes. And, and I'm sure with respect, they won't mind me saying that it wasn't that international standard. And then Ray came in. Um, and Ray certainly transformed that, that team right the way through to the late 80s. And was a hugely important part of it. And as a man, um, it, was an, it was an absolute honour to know him. And you often get people that are paid tribute to someone that's passed away and you'll always hear, oh, what a great man he was. And, you know, even people that don't like him because that's what's done. But absolutely hand on heart, it was an honour to know him. And I'd seen him go through, um, he'd faced cancer, it must have been about three or four times. And I couldn't believe this guy. And this is even last season. He'd have chemotherapy and he'd be in the next day. He'd come in and he'd just say, you know, I'm fine. And you'd think, are you okay? And we'd sit down and, and I'd chat with him and say, you know, how are you feeling? He goes, yeah, it's tough, but I want to be here. You know, I, I really want to come in. And, and and I've never known bravery like it. I mean, the man was unbelievable and right right up to the end. And um, I think the last I'd, I'd contact I'd had with him was probably during the summer. And um, wished him well and said, you know, obviously we really want to see you back and I hope you're well. And he said he was struggling a bit at the moment, but. You know, hopefully I'll see you next season. Um, but unfortunately, it, it, it took him. And But what a great player, a fantastic man, just a lovely, lovely man. And uh, thoughts, uh, you know, to his to V and, he, and, and his family, and we wish them well. And it was a true great. It was one of our true greats of this country, not only of Spurs, but of England as well. So very, very sad news. The Hall of Fame is, is the people that... Uh have given good service to the club and and, uh, and they are special players and Ray comes under that category, he's a, he's a world-class goalkeeper um, internationally and, and at club level, what he did at Liverpool and then when he, he's come down to Tottenham and been successful here and the amount of years that he played here so uh, I'm delighted to see that he's been inducted tonight. Please welcome the latest inductee into the Tottenham Hotspur Hall of Fame, please everybody I give you the great Ray Kurt. It's fantastic, you know, I mean, I think I'm the 41st member that's been actually put, inducted into the Hall of Fame and you look at those photographs downstairs uh, and there's some magnificent players there going back through the years. Um, so for me to be nominated and inducted tonight, it's just a, a very special and proud moment for myself. I felt that Ray was a, probably the, the end of the jigsaw that, that Keith Birkinshaw was looking for at the time. We, I think we. We had some wonderful midfield players, we had a great team, we had a solid defence and I think uh, we had the two strikers and Mark Falco up front, you know, Crooks, Archibald and Falco. So we, we, we really had some good goalkeepers, Mila Alexic, Barry Baines, their likes, were, were good goalkeepers. But Ray, when he came, was, was absolutely top notch, he was at his height, I felt, as a goalkeeper. He's done, you know, wonderful things at Liverpool. The fact that he wanted to come down and, and play at the Tottenham was a great thing for us. And, and how he organised the defence and how he organised the penalty area. He was a very unselfish goalkeeper. And uh, straight away, he was very impressive. From the first training session, he demanded, that's my area, that's my area. I expect you to deal with that area to the defenders, to the centre. And the clarity that he brought was excellent. And you could think, you, you sat back and you thought, wow, this fellow knows what he's, what he's on about. And he was the, probably the end of the jigsaw that then made us go on and get more success. You know, we're talking about careers, obviously, um He's been a great role model for me to look up to. He'd be the first person I'd speak to after the game and 
and want his approval, if you like, to see if I, how he thought I'd done. Um, so um, I'd often look up to the stand as I was walking in after a game, he'd be up there and he'd either give me a little nod, then I, I knew I'd done all right, or he'd be looking away. <laughs> and uh, I knew I was in for probably a little bit of a telling off. Congratulations, about time as well. <laughs> he might have been done a few years ago, I'd imagine, um, because he was that sort of quality. But no, congratulations, well done, and it was um, you know, well deserved. Andy Reid tries his luck, and there's his first Tottenham goal at last. And that ought to settle it. 4 1 Spurs. Drives forward, Reed. He's looking for a pass. Decides he doesn't need one. Minimum effort, minimum backlift. What a strike! Hello and welcome to the last word on Spurs. We are hoping you're keeping safe and well. Thank you ever so much for joining us during this international break. We've had the whole host recently and pleasure of welcoming many, many ex-Spurs players. We had the likes of Dimitar Berbatov, Michael Dawson, Tom Huddleston, Darren Anderton, David Howes, Paul Stalteri, Casey Keller, Eric Edmund, Johnny Jackson, Ramon Vega, Pascal Chimbonda. And now we're bringing you yet another player from the 2000s. Made 26 appearances for Tottenham, a wand of a left foot, played for the Republic of Ireland, scored against Italy. We're absolutely delighted to welcome to the last word on Spurs, Andy Reid joins us. Andy, how are you? Oh, I'm very well, thanks, chaps. It's uh, great to join us. Great to join us, really is. Andy, absolute pleasure to have you on. And also alongside me, I've got the wonderful John from Lily White Rose. John, how are you? Hi, guys. We're doing really well. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, another great show with another ex-Spurs player tonight. I'm sure he's got lots of interesting stories to tell us, and I'm sure you guys are going to be keen to hear this one. So, Andy, I'll start by saying, obviously, you were born in uh, Dublin, and it's fair to say that football was always in your blood, with your father playing semi-pro for St Pat's and your uncle playing for Shelburne. Did you always see yourself going into the football industry and becoming a footballer? Well, I think in, in the early years, football was always around me. Um, I, you know, as you mentioned, my dad played, um, could have could have probably played at a higher level, had the opportunity to go over to England, but um, was a little bit of a home board. So he decided to play and uh, play over in Ireland semi-pro. So football was always, uh, always around me. But I think early on, you know, especially when I was really young, for me, it was the fun of playing football that I loved, not really... And kind of thinking about making it as a professional footballer. It's only when when I kind of got to maybe 13 or 14 and you start getting, well, probably 13, I would say, where you start going on trials for different clubs that you think, well, actually, maybe I could uh, could have a little bit of a go at this. For me, the early years is the love of the game. Football was always on in our house. My brothers loved football. My dad loved football. All my family, friends, football just kind of seemed to really, really run in the family. So that was where it all started for me, yeah. Really, you started off your youth career with some local Irish sides and you reportedly turned down the advances of Manchester United and Arsenal, dare I say. Can you tell us about what that was like for you and what made you choose to join Forest over those calibre of sides? Well, uh, you know, with the, with the greatest respect to, to, you know, to them clubs, when, we, when I went over there and, I, I, and we were over there on trials and it kind of just felt like you were just another number. Uh, you know, there was probably... You know, 25, 30, 40 players over there on trials on kind of half-term breaks and stuff like that when, when when you would go over. And I never really felt, you know, like there was... I never really felt that connection. Um, on the other hand, when I went to Forest, um, f- 
from from a really young age when I went over in the trials I went in and I was I was training with some of the youth team players and I felt like I was really part of the club there wasn't kind of 40 50 players on trial and it didn't kind of feel like a I suppose a cattle market I suppose it didn't re it didn't feel like that and I felt appreciated I felt valued and I felt um that these were the people and this was the club where that I wanted to um to to, to come to and and a big important part of it as well um on top of that is when my parents came over and visited the club and they visited the digs um, where we were staying, which was right next to this to the city ground. Met the people who were running the digs, met the people who 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 were walking in the club, and some of them still walking in the club now who really, really looked after me. It was very important, and my parents felt um secure because I went I went over really young. I probably went over a year, maybe two years earlier than some other players. I went over, I was 14, nearly 15. And um, when I went over, so it was very important that me that my parents felt that it was okay for me to for me to go over. And I'm saying that now, looking back and kind of being romantic, but my mum was probably delighted to get me <laughs> to delighted to get me out of the house. Really, you made your Forest debut on 29th of November in the year 2000 versus Sheffield United, and the following season made 31 appearances. You then scored in the Division One playoff semi final, although Forest lost that game by four goals to three. Is it fair to say the following season you really took off when you scored 13 times and finished as the club's top scorer, as well as being named in the PFA division team of the season? What do you believe led to having such a successful season with Forrest? Um, I, I, I suppose in the fourth season, David Platt was was manager when I made my debut. And and it was really special, actually, I have to say. And it's something that I look back on with a lot of fondness. I managed to score my debut and it, it, it was really, really good. I was still quite young. I think I was probably 17, maybe 18 or something like that at the time. So I was still feeling my way into football and into men's football and, and what it was all about to play at force team level. So there was obviously a little bit of bedding in. Uh, the following season, uh, you know, played played quite a bit, but I think a big part in me kind of really, really taking off and really kind of on that upward trajectory was probably Paul Hart taking over as force team manager. Um, Paul was somebody that I'd walked with at academy level. Um, and, and he was a fantastic coach um, and, and somewhat of a mentor to me. Um, you, know, you know, he was a real, real help to me on and off the pitch and really looked after me on and off the pitch. And we had our battles at times um, because I wasn't the easiest young lad to get on with. Um, stubborn kind of young lad come over from Dublin. We had plenty of battles, but he understood me and he, and he got me and he knew how to get the best of me. So when he took over um, as manager of the force team, Loads of other players were coming through at the same time as well. Um, and we just felt really, really comfortable with each other because we played with each other um, for, for quite a long time. The football was really good. And, um, and I think that was the start. And I think if, you, if you're comfortable and, and the right environment is created, I think, you know, you can, you can, you can really, really flourish. In. And it's something that I try and do now as a coach. And try and create that really good environment for young players to to really flourish and, and express themselves. And for me, Paul Hart was 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 one of the the main factors in me being able to 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 do that at force team level. Now, Andy, in August two thousand and four, you handed in a transfer request at Forest, and we're always intrigued. You know, when we hear players handing transfer requests, I think back then maybe you know it's it's different to what it is now. Certainly in terms of you know that whole procedure, but. What led to you at the time taking that cause of action? And did you already feel at that point? And was there already Premier League clubs interested in your services? It was a strange time because, you know, I had such a, an affinity with Forrest. Um, I really did. And I was promised that if I stayed till the end of the season, um, that I would be allowed to leave for a, a reasonable figure. 
uh, it got to the end of the season and there was no real investment in the squad. Um, the chairman, Nigel Doherty, um, uh, God rest him, he, um, he, he was kind of scaling back the, the, the finances that he was putting into the club and he had put so much into the club already. So I didn't feel that the squad was going to get any better, that was going to get the challenge and um, to be able to challenge at the right end of the table. Um, so I, I felt that it was the right time. I felt there was decent money on offer. And still it was, um, I was kind of denied being able to go and leave. And then, and then there seemed to be a little bit of a standoff between um, between Daniel Levy and between between Nigel Doherty. Um, we haven't heard that before with, not, with not uh, first, Daniel yeah, Levy reading. Not the first <laughs> one and, and certainly not the last one. So um, so I ended up handing in a transfer request um, at the time, um, which I, 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 I feel sad that I kind of ended up having to do that. But I felt that there was no other action that I could have taken. And I felt that I really needed to make it clear that I wanted the opportunity to go in the Premier League. You know, I was a young, hungry um you know really wanted to be successful and, and there was a good opportunity there so you know it wasn't something that I took any pleasure in um a club that obviously still love to this day um having to kind of do that but I felt that I was left with no with no other option at the time um so kind of as the transfer starts to kind of get closer and I can feel that we're getting to it and and then Doss gets involved in the um in the kind of the transfer saga as it was so so I said to Doss right we need to go and see uh, and it's funny you can laugh about it now, but Mark Arthur, um, who, who it was a really good CEO actually. He was he was he was the the CEO of Forest at the time, and I'm like, right, Doss, we have to go and see Mark Arthur and tell him that we want to leave, you know. So Doss is like kind of at me side. I'm like, so we march up to his office and open his door. I'm like, so we really want to leave, and I'm look at Doss, don't we, Doss? And Doss kind of just nods like that, <laughs> and he's like, okay, and we just walked out of the office, and it was the most meaningless kind of two minutes of our lives. Like he just kind of looked as if to say, <laughs> what are you guys doing? But, uh, and Doss, like, uh, you know, kind of still wet behind the ears at this stage, not long, you know, only probably two or three years down from Yorkshire. Yeah. Uh, and he's kind of thinking, really, what are you, what are you dragging it, dragging me into here? And, and it's not the first kind of scenario that I dragged them into either. And, and um, it, it, it wasn't the last, as we will probably talk about earlier, uh, later on when the, uh, when we actually went down for the medical. Oh, God. And can I ask you, just on the point there, you say about, you know, the transfer request. As a player at that stage, are you kind of acutely aware of the fans? And, you know, I know nowadays with social media, it's different to what it was then. But, I mean, as a player, do, does that weigh into a factor of just how the fans may react? Is this suggested by, you know, Spurs to hand that transfer request in? How does that work from your end, how it gets to that point? There's a little bit of everything, really. Does 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 the nudge from Spurs that you get, um, which would happen, there's kind of the nudge from the agent um, as well. And, and listen, I was always mentally strong and I always had a particularly strong character. So if I didn't want to do something, then I wouldn't have done it. I felt it was, it was the, as I said, I felt it was the only kind of course of action. I didn't really, and as I said, and I genuinely mean this, I didn't take any pleasure in it. You know, I didn't take any pleasure in handing in a transfer request, but the opportunity to go and play in the Premier League and the team had kind of been depleted over the last probably year, kind of 18 months. We lost a lot of players, uh, hadn't really replaced 
placed him. The, the squad wasn't particularly strong. And I knew that we weren't going to be challenging at the right end of the table. And, you know, an opportunity to, to come and play for a, a club the size of Spurs was just too good of an opportunity to turn down. And I didn't want to miss the opportunity. Um, there were other clubs who were interested in me and, and, and probably other clubs that I kind of could have gone to and could have got a deal over the line a lot easier with. Um, you know, uh, you know, and you kind of look back on it now and you think, well, uh, you know, it would have been a hell of a lot easier to just kind of go to this club or go to that club and, and they would have got the deal done probably within a couple of days. But fortunately, the deal became difficult to kind of get done. But we managed to, to, to well, when you say we managed to get there, I mean, the, the, the day that we got the call, we got the call from my agent and he said, uh, he said, really, it was transfer deadline day. He says it still hasn't been um, resolved. Uh, they still haven't got uh, got a fee agreed. Um, but we need to get down to we need to get down to Essex. Um, you know, we need to get down there so we're close. So if something does get agreed, then we will. Um, if something does get agreed, then we will be ready to, um, to to kind of get in and get the medical done. So I was like, okay, but we're supposed to be in training today at Forest, and Gary Megson was the manager. <laughs> You know, and I'm thinking to myself, well, how does this work? And there was uh, there was an agreement made. I probably can't say who the agreement was made by, but if the deal doesn't get done and we miss training and we get fined, the air fine will be paid by somebody. So, uh, we, we <laughs> so so that was kind of secure. So we end up on our way down to Essex, um, and I'm in the car on the way down um, with my financial advisor and. Um, we're listening to the FA Cup draw and, and we're on the M1. And I'll never forget, I think we're Toddington Services when we're kind of just passing it on and, and we're listening to the FA Cup draw. And, and I mean, you couldn't write it, honestly, you couldn't write it. But um, Tottenham get drawn against Forest. It's mad. And we're on our way down. Honestly, like you, you, you couldn't write it. You really couldn't write it. I'm thinking, oh my God. So. We get down there, we're in a hotel, not too far from the training ground, we're just chilling and, and I'm kind of getting a little bit itchy and, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit like that anyway, I don't really like sitting still and um, so I said to Doss, I said, Doss, come on, let's go for, a, go for a walk, you know, so he's like, yeah, all right, no problem, so we go for a walk and this is another thing of how I kind of get Doss into trouble, so we go for a walk and we walk out the back and into these we walk down the back and into these um, into these fields um, at, the, at the back of the hotel and we're having a little bit of a walk. And then we're walking for a little bit and then I kind of look around and think to myself, I haven't really got a clue where I am here. And then we look into the, we're in this field somehow. I don't know how we ended up, but mud up to our kind of knees. And next of all, the phone rings and, and um, it's my agent. He says, right, we've agreed the deal. Come on, get yourself back. And I looked at Doss like, and we're looking around. I hadn't got a clue where we were, you know? So Doss is looking at me going, really, you better not ruin this move for me. It's like transfer deadline day. He had a little bit of an injury at the time as well. So his medical was probably going to take longer than mine. So somehow we managed to climb over a wall and in through some gardens and stuff like that. Now onto this street where my agent picked us up and we went around and we turned up at the training ground and we like mud all over our train and stuff like that and they must have just been thinking what, what are we signing here you know <laughs> but we managed to uh, we managed to make it uh, we managed to make it anyway we got the medical well, I got my medical done went went really went really well kind of sailed through I didn't have any injuries I played a load of games over the last kind of two years so no issues but Doss had been carrying a little bit of a niggly injury so his kind of took a little bit longer 
but obviously because it was a double deal, you know, we kind of both signed on neither of us kind of signed uh, the way the deal was about had to say, been. Would that mean that his deal would have been dependent on you as well? Would it have been? It would have had to be that, that way, would it? Yeah, yeah, because of the way that the payments were being structured from Tottenham uh, to Forest, the kind of both had to had to kind of go through, and uh, so yeah, so so it, it really kind of stretched on and, and it was really really late in the day by the time kind of all the paperwork got submitted and I mean it, it was it was probably 11 o'clock I would say um, maybe even after 11 o'clock by the time we got the kind of the um, the all clear to to, to say that, it, that you know that it was done and we were able to complete it and you know and I talk to people now about the um, I talk to people now about about that night and, and I always remember we were at Spores Lodge and and Daniel Levy came in, um, and he was he was just chatting to us, and uh, kind of I found him really really interesting, uh, and he showed us these plans for the training ground, plans for the new stadium, and and obviously they've they've evolved and they've changed to what they are now, but you kind of remember thinking thinking at the time, yes, like really really ambitious, and 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 I can't really see it happening. And I've always been quite sceptic of clubs because I see plans coming out for stadiums and new training grounds, and and until I see diggers and shovels and people actually kind of walking on them, then you know because you can, it's easy to put out a plan, get an architect to knock something Very up true. for twelve hundred quid true. or whatever. <laughs> But until you actually kind of see it, and I remember thinking to myself, yeah, it's very ambitious, but I'm not too sure. See, and and when I see the training ground now that Tottenham have, and I see the stadium, and 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 it's phenomenal. And and I know at times Daniel does take some stick, and I know the fans get on, get, get will maybe get on this case sometimes, um, which which I find astounding. Uh, honestly, I've seen clubs. Waste so much money. Honestly, I see clubs waste so much money and then end up with no infrastructure. No infrastructure to clubs. So no stadium, no... Tra- I mean, what the stadium for me does for Tottenham and what the training ground does, it puts Tottenham as a top 10, top 12 uh, team in Europe for the next 15, 20 years because of facilities and all the bits that you've got. And it, it's so important to have this infrastructure if you want to class yourself as a top club because you can buy a player for... Uh, hundred million. Um, he might stay for three years, and you have to sell him for twenty million then afterwards. And he's gone, and that's all done and dusted, and nobody will even probably remember him in two years' time. But to have that training ground where you can develop your academy, where you can develop your players, where you can make them better, to have that stadium that really kind of feels special, which which it does, is phenomenal. Honestly, it really is, and 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 I think fans need to understand the importance of infrastructure within a football club. And I know it's frustrating sometimes. You think, oh yeah, but I want to go out and buy a player for a hundred million or a hundred and twenty million. Honestly, the infrastructure in the club is a million times more important than going out and spending that hundred million on one player. It really is, and to see that vision from what he kind of spoke to us about that night, and I, and I still remember it now. I think it's absolutely phenomenal, and I think he deserves a phenomenal amount of credit for it. I really do. Well, I absolutely love everything you've just said, Andy. So it really backs up a lot of the points that we sometimes make and, and sometimes I struggle with other fans conveying, you know, for every, you know, extra million you spend on the training ground, you may then be unearthing another Harry Kane. These are players of elite talent who sometimes it is better to develop your own, who have an affiliation and understanding with the club rather than signing somebody from abroad who maybe just come in for a quick paycheck and a chance to climb up the Premier League ladder. So that's really interesting what you say. Obviously, back to your, to your move and, and that deadline day to Tottenham and I probably think that's why clubs now pay player liaison offers after your episode of uh, climbing over brick walls. On the 31st of January 2005, 
alongside your Forest teammate, Michael Dawson. You secured a joint eight million double move to Spurs. How did you hear about Spurs' interest? And you also reportedly turned down a move to Southampton. I presume Dawes joining helped you settle in. How close a friend was he to you? And how, how did you sort of settle into Spurs as a whole? Yeah, it was. I, I think where initially it came from was was David Plate. Um, yeah. I, I, um, I, I, from from where I can gather, he, he'd seen me play. Um, he had, I think he had actually seen me play for for the for Forest youth team. I mean, a very very knowledgeable man of of, of all different levels of football, um, and he'd seen me play, and and it somehow kind of tracked my career and. Um, uh, and some, uh, from what I can gather, um, and, and, I, and I spoke to him briefly about it, but from what I can gather, kind of tracked me and was really, really pushing for for the club to kind of sign me. And, and as I said, it did go on for uh, it did go on for for quite a while. There was a couple of different managers um, in within that, and 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 I think uh, Frank Arneson was the one by the time we did get signed, who was um, who was director of football um, or some title um, similar around that and Frank was uh, Frank was actually a really really big loss when when he left um, because he was a fantastic guy and he was really really knowledgeable and he was somebody that that really kind of um, pushed for, for, for the move to happen and um, yeah there was some interest from from Southampton and and, and some other clubs and, and like what I mentioned earlier on Chairman sometimes have did better relationships with other chairmen and uh, and they want to get a deal done with their mate kind of so to speak and um, and, and and that wasn't the case in this deal but I, I I had I had my heart kind of set on signing for Tottenham um, and and I was flattered by the fact that you know when a couple of times it hadn't happened in the windows that that maybe we thought it might happen and the club still kept coming back um, and kind of really really wanted to sign me. Um, and that really flattered me and it really made me feel like this was the right thing for me. And hence the reason why I kind of put in the transfer request, because I really felt that, you know, this club has gone all out. They've shown real kind of desire for, for me to come to the football club. And, and, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to to really kind of push ahead and really, kind of really push it through. And interestingly at that time as well, um, having been named the former Spurs manager, Joe Kinnear was at Forest. Did he say much to you about Spurs as a club? And it seems very much there you were kind of adamant that Spurs was always going to be the club you were going to join. How aware was you of Spurs' rich history and what kind of made Spurs feel right for you, for the club to join, despite of how adamant they were in previous windows? What drew you to Tottenham? I'd been to a couple of games um, at Whitehart Lane um, to watch and I got a lovely feel when I walked into the stadium. Um, I really got a lovely feel. And I remember looking at the pitch and the pitch was absolutely pristine and kind of thinking to myself, you know, I'd really like to... I'd really like to play here one day. Now, when I say play there, at the time, I, I was a Forest player um, at the time and was probably thinking maybe come and play against them um, and not really play for them. Um, but there was a, there was a lovely um, feel to the stadium. Obviously, I was massively aware of the history. Um, I'm, uh, I would be big on history in general and, and football history as well. So massively aware of the history uh, the double winning side and 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 Bill Nicholson and you know and and, and these players um, as well. So the managers and players. So uh, you know and and then taking on then to to Hoddle and Waddle and Gascoigne and and you know and all these really classy players um, and and I suppose maybe having a, a an inflated opinion of myself. Talk myself. I was probably a classy player and I thought this might suit me. You know. So 
all them things I was I was kind of really 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 drawn towards it it was uh, it, it, I just got a right feeling um, for it that it was that it was the right kind of thing to push for and felt like it was it was it was, uh, it, was a, it, it is a special club and you know and and, and I speak to people and we'll probably speak about it later on when they ask me about my time there and the fact that it was short. It's, I still fully understand how special the club is and, and I'm very, very proud that I played for um, for, for Spurs. You know, I, I, I really am. And tell me, I tell my kid, you know, and he kind of looks at you didn't play for Tottenham, Dad. <laughs> you know, and I'm, I'm, like, I'm like trying to get up videos of the one goal that I scored. <laughs> We've got it, don't worry. <laughs> yeah, you know, so... Um, yeah, but where I am, I'm very, very proud that, that I played for, for Tottenham and I loved my time there. You know, I would have loved to play more. I definitely would have loved to play more. There's no doubt about that. And that's why I ended up moving because I didn't think the game time was there for me for one reason or another. But um, massively, um, you know, proud that, that I played for the club and, and, um, and, and very, very aware of, of, of what a special club it is. And, and, when I switch on the TV and kind of watch them now, I love to see them do well. You know, I, I do. I, I look out for the scores. The same way I do with, with, with all the clubs that I played for. But it's definitely, you know, one of the first ones that I kind of go to check and see oh, how a Tottenham are doing. If there's a game on, I will definitely, uh, definitely watch it. When you joined the club, Reedy, obviously Martin Yole was there as the manager. But did you find that we've, we've spoke to a lot of ex-players and they've all sort of said this to us, that sort of Frank Arneson was the one who managed the transfers and made you feel sort of wanted at the club is that was that your recollection as well yeah you know it just it, i mean say it seems like a long time ago it was a long time ago but i did get that feeling that frank was kind of the one driving it. and when i got to the club that martin Yall was 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 the head coach um and, and it had like a continental kind of feel to it um, now, when Frank left, and I know Damien Camoli came in afterwards, but when Frank left, it felt like Martin Yall became more of a manager, uh, more so than, than a head coach. And, and I, I don't know, maybe that's just my kind of recollection of it, but that was kind of how I felt and how I seen it. And I, I, I don't know if anybody else has kind of maybe echoed that kind of feeling that that's kind of, uh, that was what I felt kind of happened. He, he kind of took on a, a little bit more. Um, more of the managerial kind of role of it, yeah, in and around that period. Ahead of the move, and Arneson said that you're a technical footballer with a nice left foot who can read the game well. And whilst in an interview, like say, on the Spurs website, you said that, you know, it was talked about for a long time and you're thrilled at the move and finally got over the line. You were very, very excited to play Premier League football with Tottenham. You had no hesitation in signing. It's a big club. You like the way the chairman, Frank Arneson and Martin Yell transform things in terms of them bringing through a lot of young players and you just wanted to be a part of that. What was that like for you and the day you signed for Tottenham? Was that a very special moment for you and the family? Can you remember what you were like when that move finally got over the line? Yeah, no, listen, I was absolutely delighted. And and, and in, in a lot of ways, I had I had a, an inside knowledge of what was going on there. I knew players there. I, I played with Robbie, um, obviously with Ireland. And, you know, when Robbie had been on the phone... Um, Chris Hewton was um, was the assistant manager at Ireland at the time, um, so I'd had quite a few conversations with Chris about the club, um, and I also knew Stephen Kelly, um, Mark Yates was there at the time as well. So I did have a, have a knowledge of of you know what was going on and the vibrancy of the club and what they were aiming for, what they were trying to kind of get at, and um, so I was kind of fully aware of that, which made again made the decision. 
um, really, really easy for me to, to really easy for me to make. So it was very exciting. Uh, I have to be honest with you, very, very exciting. Um, looking for and really looking forward to my to my first game, um, my first Premier League game, um, which which came around a lot quicker than than I had anticipated after we signed. You know, I I wasn't expecting to start the game, um, and I didn't know I was going to be starting. I mean, I think I'd had two training sessions. And wasn't really expecting to start the game, and then when the when the manager named the um, named the team on the Saturday, then you know I was in the team, and, and I always remember he named the team, and then we kind of had pre match meal, and as we as we were walking walking up to to get the pre match meal, Robbie's there, was, oh you're getting nervous now, you're going to get nervous, you're starting, you know, as as uh, as as, Rob, as Robbie does, and. Um, and, and at that stage, I had played some big kind of international games, but you know, your first Premier League game, I was, I have to say, I was nervous. I was kind of trying to sugar off like it was all right, but it was, it was nervous. But I didn't think it was an issue because you know I'd been playing week in, week out for us. I was fit, had loads of games under my belt, and, and and I felt ready. You know, I felt really ready for it. What were your first impressions of Spurs as a club, the training facilities, and London as a whole? We heard from Michael Dawson when we had him on the pod. And he said that Robbie Keane took you guys out for a big slap-up meal in London shortly after signing. Can you tell us any more about this? Yeah, we we went to uh, we went to a place in Potter's Bar that Robbie used to used to eat, um, and he and he took us there, a lovely Italian restaurant. And the guys there looked out, was brilliant. And we ended up going back quite a bit. And um, listen, I, I think part of it, it did help having kind of familiar faces there, and you know, and I mentioned Robbie there before, and was 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 helped us really kind of settle in and. Um, and for me, also the other Irish lads I've just mentioned, Stephen Kelly and 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 Mark Yates, um, um, were, were, you know, really good lads as well, and really helped us settle into the area. So um, to kind of have that familiar face when you walk in um, is is good. I mean, Doss is a little bit younger than me, and, and I do remember kind of joking with him at the time, and I kind of mentioned earlier on where I was kind of saying, "Don't worry, Doss, I won't let any of them rob you lunch." <laughs> <laughs> you know? um, uh, so. Um, so so yeah, a little bit of lightheartedness about it, but also um, uh, also good to see them familiar faces for me anyway. It's been a fascinating first half so far. We are going to go for a very quick break. When we return, we're going to be talking about Andy's debut. We're going to be talking about featuring in a North London derby, how Andy came to leave the football club, what his thoughts are on the present day, Maurizio Pochettino, Jose Mourinho, what Andy's up to now. Do not go anywhere. We are back after this very, very short break. Phoenix 51 is a powerful employee technology enabling organizations to make data-driven decisions at every stage of the employee journey from hiring through benchmarking and development too. The platform provides detailed analytics on the most important asset in your business, your people, enabling organizations not only to make the correct hiring decisions but also how to benchmark, train and retain them. Phoenix 51 powering your people decisions through every part of the employee journey. Hello and welcome back to The Last Word on Spurs. Thank you so much for downloading us during this international break. But we take a break from Tottenham Hotspur of today and we go back a bit in time and we've got the wonderful Andy Reid joining us, former Spurs player, played for the Republic of Ireland, scored some massive goals. Who can forget that magic wand of a left foot? Also got the brilliant John from the White Rose with us. Andy, let's get down to it. You made your debut for the club under a week, as you mentioned, of signing, and you played the full 90 minutes in a much-needed for Tottenham, 3-1 win versus Portsmouth, and you even grabbed an assist for Robbie Keane. We must have been on a run at that time of five games without a win 
in the Premier League. What were your memories of that game and coming out for the first time at White Hart Lane? I mean, you mentioned that, you know, that was one of the things that for you, playing at White Hart Lane was always that you kind of envisaged. How was that going out there as a player of Tottenham? It was brilliant. I said, I'd probably a couple of days training and then um, find out that you're playing on the day of the game, a little bit nervous, but also really looking forward to it. You know, I felt really, really confident. I'd been playing particularly well, you know, I'd been setting up goals and, and scoring goals. So so I did feel, uh, I felt pretty confident and, and really, really looking forward to it. And, you know, you mentioned the assist for Robbie and, and I think it, when we played international football together, we always kind of had little bit of a, a kind of a link going on and you know and his movement was absolutely fantastic and kind of had little signals there you know when he comes short he's going to spin in behind or whatever the you know whatever it may be we had these kind of signals so I always knew that Robbie was going to make good runs and and and, and that was you know my real kind of forte I suppose was was kind of forward passing you know whether it be on the ground or whether it be over the top or uh, diagonal balls or whatever it was at all, and, and probably even more so at the time you know forward passing was 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 my real my real asset my real strong point so um it was great to to, to get an assist on me debbie and to get the win you know you know i think you know strikers say sometimes you know and, and you hear them say well they get a goal and, you know, some of them don't really care about results as long as they get their goal. And, you know, the same with people setting up goals. But, um, you know, to kind of get an assist and to get, get, a, um, to get a win on your debut at home, um, not only a few days after signing for the club, absolutely fantastic, you know. And, and, and I mentioned me, you know, my me, me, me debut for Forest and how proud that kind of made me. My, my debut for Tottenham made me, made me really, really proud as well, myself and my family. Reedy, another player who made his debut that day was quite the exuberant character in Mido. He got two goals that day. What was he like, though, as a, as a, as a player and, and as a guy, you know, to train with every day? We hear some interesting stories about him. <laughs> yeah, he's probably, as you've just described him there, he was exuberant. He was, uh, he was, he was lively, to say the least. We, <laughs> I remember um, somebody came to pick us up in a car to, from the training ground and brought us down to the stadium, probably to maybe a week after we'd signed. We had to do a signing session down at the club shop. And, and me and Mido sat in the car and I'm sat in the car and I'm listening to some of his conversations that he's having with some people. I'm thinking, this guy's crazy, you know. Um, I, I, I really liked him. Honestly, I really liked him. Um, I, I thought he was a good character. Um, I can understand at times he was probably hard work for a manager. Um, but but I really liked him. Um, I thought he was a you know I thought he was a good character. I thought he was a he was he, he was good company. He was he was an interesting guy. He was he was kind of good to be around, and and he definitely brought a bit of life to the uh, to the changing room. He was an interesting character, wasn't he? He was fascinating as a guy. Like I say to watch him and play, and you could just see sometimes you know you get those players really on the pitch. You can imagine what they're like off it just by the way they play as a character, and he, he's definitely one of them. Well, you know, I, I say it to young players now, and I'm one of having conversations. But I think characters are going out of the game, um, and, and I think they're probably being coached out of the game. You know, I think some there's a lot of coaches they they don't want to deal with the characters. Um, you know, they, they they really don't, and I think it's such a shame um, because I think if you if you've got a real good character about you. Um, then you know I, th I think that helps you on the pitch, and I think <clears throat> good characters and good leaders, and um, you know, really, really 
and it takes so many different types to make a good team. Yeah. And, you know, you can't have all of the same type. You can't have 11 of the same type of characters on the pitch because it doesn't work. Um, so to have them different characters, and I think at times they're being coached out of the game because managers seem for me to want kind of robots. It's a shame and, though, isn't it? Like uh, you said there, you do need that element of a bit of a maverick or some devil- devilment to get the best out of players as well. Yeah, listen, absolutely. And, 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 and like, like I said, you know, the same way I said you can't have 11 kind of shouters and screamers on the pitch. You yeah. can't have 11 mavericks on the pitch. You know, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not saying that you want, you know, every single player to be to be a maverick. But um, you have to try and nurture the mavericks to try and get the best out of them. And that's, you know, I think a real important factor in building a team, you know, that you build players and characters that really, really complement each other um, on and off the pitch to try and help kind of build that um that structure that um feeling and that that vi- that vibrant kind of um that vibrancy that you need to be successful agree totally agree now your moment you scored in a vital 5-1 win over Aston Villa at White Hart Lane with a superb rising shot from outside the box that fizzed into the net did you feel and overall was that your best game for Spurs since also joining the club at that time yeah i, I, would, I would i would definitely say so um I, I, I felt I played particularly well um, that that game. I think I had a hand in a couple of the goals and um, scored a really good goal. We you know we played really really well that day. I, I always remember. Um, I know I kind of managed to pick up the man of the match award, but but I remember Freddie Knute, um on that day. He was he was awesome. You know he was he he was really really top notch. I was thinking myself. Well, He's a he's a right player, you know. I, I would say, you know, looking back in this, it was my best moment in a, in a Tottenham short the goal, um, and my best performance, and um, and probably one of the better team performances in the time that that I was there. You know, we we, we it was one of them days where where everything just kind of really really clicked and the goals went in for us at the right time, and we you know we really really went for it. We finished ninth that season, missing out on the top seven and a place in Europe. But there did seem to be a genuine positive atmosphere amongst the club and the fans, a real excitement in the squad with young uh, British players we had and how Martin Yole was doing. How did you feel things were going at that time for you personally and for the club as a whole? I felt really excited about going into the uh, into the following season. Um, I had... Had a good season. I think we went to South Korea in pre-season and played in the Peace Cup. Over, I think we won the Peace. We win the Peace Cup. I think we won. That was our last trophy, wasn't it, Andy? (laughs) (laughs) I was up, mate. I was up watching Eurosport at ten past seven in the morning. We beat Leon. I still remember it. I've got the DVD. Yeah, brilliant. You got to claim these things, Andy, as a Tottenham fan, as you know. You got to keep claiming them. You've got a better memory than me because uh, I, I couldn't even remember that we played Leon. Uh, but, but um, you know, we we, we went and and, won, and and I felt I had a, um, a really good pre-season and was really looking forward to the season. I, I suppose then, as the season starts and I started the season, I think I was I was in the team at the start of the season, and then like kind of kind of get a feeling then. I, I mean, one day you come in and Edgar Davids is kind of in and he's kind of sat next to you, you know, and I'm thinking, mm, he's left-footed midfielder, okay. <laughs> Played for Barcelona, all the top teams around the world, you know what I mean? I'm thinking, okay, fair enough. You know, you can kind of keep flight, fighting for your place. And then Jermaine Genius comes in, who, who we knew from Forest as well. And um, and all these kind of players kind of came in, and 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 Frank Arneson left, who I think obviously had been an advocate of me, um, kind of playing and getting some game time, and 
and then kind of probably slowly then as the as the season went on my kind of game time kind of became a little bit less so so um you know the excitement was building within within the kind of the the Tottenham within the club within the supporters and that but I, I suppose from probably Christmas on I was probably starting to get a feeling that that my game time would 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 be would be limited which was disappointing you know I'm not going to lie it was it was it was disappointment because I still felt I had kind of plenty to offer but at the same time I also got got a sense of of kind of probably probably where it was uh, where where it was going to end up at some point because the club was kind of real on a upward trajectory and starting to put some kind of serious kind of money into the into the playing squad and maybe looking for for for, for kind of some of the bigger names so um you know, and, and that's just you know, this is just kind of it coming back to me as I'm speaking to you guys and thinking yeah. about you know what it was like. But I, I, you know, felt like I started the season kind of not too bad. Um, I thought I thought it was all right. And can I ask you? You mentioned there the likes of Jermaine Genus, Edgar Davids coming in. As a player, when you see players coming in that may end up playing in your position as well, as a player, do you go and try and seek that assurance from the manager to still see your part of his plans? Or is it just as a case, you just get on with it and it's just a case that whoever performs in training, you think will get in the team. How's that like for a player when you do see other players come in your position like that? Yeah, well, that's what I've done. You know, I just, I didn't go and knock on the manager's door. You would probably have too much, at that stage, you would have kind of too much pride for that. I thought myself, I don't mind, I'll go put myself against anybody and I feel that I can kind of get get an opportunity. I think it probably, um, you know, and, and I would have backed myself to kind of really get in the team. And I think, uh, you know, uh, on, on merit, I think I, I probably should have played more games than what I did. I thought I was training well. I was kind of doing all right. And, and I wanted kind of more game time and more opportunity. And, um, yeah, so, but at that stage, it wasn't a case of going and I didn't want any assurances. I know when you sign for a club like Tottenham, there's no assurances. There shouldn't be really assurances for anybody playing for any club if you're kind of creating that um, competitive environment where everybody's going to be pushing each other. You, you can't and you shouldn't assure anybody of a starting place. So I didn't go looking for any assurances. Um, I would have probably looking back and I would have liked maybe a little bit more of a fair crack at it as in given more game time and more starts and but but you know again it, it, stuff like this happens in football and and uh, and and yeah I, I, I suppose it's um, yeah, I, I haven't really thought about it all that much um, until we're kind of having this conversation um, so kind of I'm, I'm, I'm kind of trying to think on the spot here <laughs> as to you know how I was kind of feeling back then and what yeah. the feelings were um, but most most certainly it was it was an exciting place to be. Um, that does doesn't there's kind of no doubt about that. There was it was an exciting place to be. There was um, some really really good players there um, at the time, and, and I was loving playing with these players and training with these players, learning so much. You know, um, Michael Carrick and and Ledley King, and obviously yeah. I knew Robbie as well. Um, you know, uh, and you know, thinking back about Ledley, Ledley in particular, and and obviously, you know, he had his injury problems and he couldn't really train that much, but he'd still go out on the pitch and he'd be be one of the best players on the pitch every single week. You know, absolutely phenomenal. And then I think back in that season in particular, my kind of second season, the impact that Michael Carrick had as well. You know, phenomenal player. Um, absolutely dictating games. You know, dictating the pace of games. Um, the tempo, passing forward, breaking up play, um, you know, absolutely phenomenal. Um, 
there was there, there, there was a lot of excitement in and around it there, and it was it was great to be able to kind of play and to 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 train with these players. And and then you look at the strike force as well, where you'd got um you had um, Mido was there as we spoke about, and you've got Robbie and and, and Jermaine um, there as well. I think Freddie might have might have left by them. Um, but um, you know some 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 really really top top class players. Just on um, Canute, he's not a player we hear too much about when we do these interviews. But I always found him be hugely talented, and the career he had after leaving Tottenham, you know, going to Seville and being their top scorer for a number of years in La Liga. Could you tell us a bit more about what he was like as a character and also a player? I feel he was a little bit undervalued. Yeah, I, I, I you know, I think if you. <laughs> He, he he certainly wasn't undervalued by 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 the players. Um, I think you you knew his quality, and and people may have been surprised when he went over to Sevilla and 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 done so well. But I certainly wasn't. Um, you know, I knew what this guy was capable of. I mean, I I seen him how he got hold of the ball, his, his finishing, his, his movement was so good. He was quick. He was you know he kind of had everything really that you need to be a top class striker and. Um, it was. I think it was just a case of can you get it out of him on a on a regular basis. And when he went to Seville, the managers over there, whoever they were, really kind of um, managed to get the best out of him consistently year after year after year. And and I think that's all I kind of took with Freddie. He was a, oh, you know, I wouldn't have said I know I, I knew him massively well. Don't get me wrong, but he came across as quite a reserved um kind of complex maybe character um you know maybe people who know him better might say um that I'm, I'm i'm way off with that but that was my opinion uh, on it um um quite you know quite reserved was always really really nice with me um you know um happy to kind of chat and kind of do whatever but um wouldn't have been a kind of way over the top, kind of in your face kind of character, you know, would have been pretty chilled and and, 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 and pretty relaxed, pretty cool kind of guy, I suppose, you know. That's fascinating. And the 2005-06 season, you did make 13 appearances for Spurs, involved in a lot of games in that first half of the season, including a North London derby versus Arsenal, in a game which finished 1-1 and which Lely headed us into an early lead and a game that, on the day looking back now, if I go back in that time, we should have won that game. At that period, we had so many games against Arsenal in this period where we should have got over the line. We didn't. What was that like, and for you to play in as an experience, a North London derby? Tell us what that was like. My first experience of the North London derby was actually the season before um, we played at Highbury. Um, okay. And I think they beat us 1-0. Um, Reyes scored. Um, they beat us 1-0. But I always remember kind of the atmosphere, you know, it was absolutely fantastic. The... Uh, the biggest game that I played in before that was Forest Derby, um, and and it's a, it's a, it's an absolutely massive game, and um, but going down to Highbury, um, you know, and kind of playing down there, it was uh, it was it was really really special. And then you go into the next season, and and you know, I think I think both of them games, I think both of them games finished one one that season. Yeah, did um, both yeah. Of the, the, the the North London derbies, and and uh, we should have won the one at home, and we should have won the one away as well. Was there a mental block and in the squad? I mean, because this is the thing, around this period, you know, the Chelsea's, the Liverpool's, the United, it felt as a Spurs fan at this time that, especially under Martin, there was this kind of mental block when it came to a top six side that we did beat Chelsea under Martin, to be fair, but there was this real concern that we just didn't have the mentality to get over the line. What was that like as a player? Did you feel, you know, confident enough in that squad in the dressing room? Yeah, well, there definitely was something and it was very, very difficult to kind of put your... 
put your finger on what it was. Um, you know, and, and, and at times in some of them games, we actually played really, really well. I remember a couple of the games against Chelsea. I think Chelsea beat us 2-1 in one of the games and we, we, we absolutely played them off the park and you kind of come off thinking, how have we not won that, you know? And um, so, so yeah, there definitely was something kind of, uh, I don't know, something in the water <laughs> or something in the food, as it may be, that we we didn't kind of get them wins. And probably the one that I remember more was was the one at, at Highbury um, in the second in my second season was the one that was one one, and it was the last ever North London derby at Highbury. I think it was the one where Martin Yall and Aston yeah. Wenger squared up to each other. Um, we broke away and scored a goal. I think it was Robbie's score. Yep. I think it was. Yep. Um, uh, yeah, and, and they thought that the ball should have been put That's out it, play. Yeah. Um, Michael Carrick was unbelievable was in that game. Um, and I think Henri came off the bench and scored, um, if my memory serves There was me. definitely a foul in the build-up to that, Anne. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. There was definitely a foul in the build-up to that goal. We said, That's all our way back now, but it's... Yeah, yeah but, but we... Um, the foul on Phil Terry, wasn't it? That's it, yeah. Yeah, and, and and we were by far the better team um, than Arsenal that day. And they had a really, really strong squad, really, you know, some some top top players um, at the time. And um, but uh, you know, we mentioned Michael Carrick earlier. And I think I remember watching, you know, you know, being kind of part of that game and thinking to myself, he's he's on a different level here. You know, he really is. He was he was he was awesome um, in, in in that game. But yeah, there was just that little that little thing, and and I know people go on about the um, people go on about the the West Ham game at the last game of the season, and 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 that being the reason we didn't qualify for the Champions League, and it was to a certain extent. But um, that Arsenal game, um, if we had a won that um, and not got a draw, then you probably think that that we end up kind of going on to finish in in, in that fourth spot. And, uh, you know, unfortunately it wasn't to be. But the North London Derby is a special, you know, it's a special occasion. It still is now. Um, always kind of, you know, always has been um, really, really special occasion. And it's kind of great to see probably over the last 10, 12 years or whatever it is since I kind of left that Tottenham have become a hell of a lot more successful in the North London Derbies. And things seem to have kind of really, really swung, which is... I always take a, a a certain degree of pleasure when when I see Tottenham win the uh, the man. North London Derby. Music to our ears, Andy. Um, on the thirty first of January in two thousand and six, you did pick up an awful injury when we played away at Fulham, and that did keep you out for a number of months, not really returning until we played Bolton on the thirtieth of April. Three months in total. How bad an injury was that for you, Andy? And did that feel to you like that was maybe? the final step in you maybe leaving Tottenham after that injury and maybe, you know, you're not getting the same opportunities you had done before. Yeah, I, I don't mean media ligament. Um, I, um, I felt like I tweaked it a couple of, a couple of few weeks before up at, um, up at Middlesbrough. Um, somebody landed on the outside of my knee and tweaked the inside of it then, which is where the media ligament is. But I was able to kind of get on with it. And then I went in for a block tackle Um a fair enough 50-50 challenge with, uh, with one of the Fulham players and um, ended up kind of hyperextending the inside of my knee and my medial ligament kind of went and um, yeah and I ended up being being probably out for, for, for a few for a couple of maybe two three months I can't remember exactly how much it was and you know, and, and again yeah probably like what you say when I think back on it maybe that kind of was 
started to kind of be yeah, started to kind of head towards the end and um yeah maybe I, I, I'm, I'm finding it I can't really remember um it's a, as such but I do kind of get a little bit of a feeling there you know the injuries they didn't help that's for sure listen I'm not kind of the injuries are part of football and, and you know you have to deal with it and you have to kind of get on with it but um, I think if I had been injury free then I probably could have given a bit more of an account of myself and maybe put myself in in, in the frame a little bit more maybe to play um, to play some more games Now and a game that we have had so many different versions of events of just the way this game panned out you mentioned it a short time ago we ended up finishing fifth that season, of course, despite being fourth for the majority of the season, owing to what is now classically known as Lasagna Gate up at Upton Park. Now, what were your memories of that day and just how the players felt? Because we've had Dawes blessing, telling us how he was choking up before the game. We've had so many different stories. You know, what was your thoughts, and going into this game and the, the, the version of events that happened in the build-up through to the result? Yeah, we went to stay Canary Wharf, um... As, as would have been a normal kind of thing playing over that that neck of the woods if we'd have been playing Charlton or playing uh, West Ham or, or, or wherever we'd kind of maybe go there for a pre-match meal before the game or else we'd uh, stay there the night before depending on, on, on what the manager wanted to do and we had a, a normal evening meal um, and I, I don't eat lasagna um, which is which is lucky enough for me uh, but I had a normal even meal, went to bed, um, and and got we got up in the, the next morning and and kind of went for a walk, um, which which would be the normal thing that you would do. So it's probably about maybe eleven o'clock or something like that for a three with the game being a three o'clock kickoff. You maybe go for a little walk just to, around the block at eleven o'clock as a team. And I remember kind of coming down and and seeing Doss stood there, I think with Jeff the physio and. Um, and, and, and I mean, Doss looked green, you know, he, he, he really did. He looked, he looked not well at all, you know, he looked in, 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 in a bad way. Um, and I remember thinking, what's, what's going on there? And then somebody's just said, oh, all the boys have come down with food poisoning. And then you see, I think Michael Carrick was, was, was really poorly as well. I'm trying to think who else, I, I, I can't remember who else, but, but there, was a, there was a good few of the squad um, who, who, who weren't really weren't really kind of they, they they were pretty pretty ill you know and listen I'm, I'm not saying that it was done on purpose was anyway. it an Arsenal chef and putting you on the spot yeah, was it an well, Arsenal chef you know, there's all sorts of rumours isn't there there's all sorts of rumours kind of flying flying around but um, I, 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 I couldn't tell you about that but I know that the lads were really really poorly mm. you know and they were and, and, and in some ways when I look back in it I kind of think there was too much talk about it as such. And there was like people talking about the game being yeah. cancelled and being rearranged and stuff like that. And, you know, looking back on it now, I think if I was, if I was kind of, say, leading that group or maybe managing the group or whatever, I kind of probably would have tried to say, listen, get all that out of your head. There's no other game. There's no game tomorrow. There's, we have to play here today. Let's everybody start to really get focused on the game. Do you think, and that played a massive factor into that, the build-up to the kickoff? I know it was difficult to avoid. Do you think, in a way, we were already defeated because of what happened before? I don't know already defeated, but I don't think it helped. Um, I don't think it helped. Everybody was a little bit panicked. Right. Um, yeah. You know, kind of, what, what are we going to do here? What's going to happen? Is the game going to be played? Is it not yeah. going to be played? What... 
you know, and 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 that's not a, a good place for a you know for a footballer to be. Yeah. Um, yeah, but but having said that as well, you're not just talking about kind of a couple of fringe players here that were injured. You're talking about Michael Carrick, you know, being your main player, your player of the season, you're you know the, the probably best footballer at the club, you know, um, being being really really poorly and um, so uh, yeah, it, it most definitely didn't help and and the performance wasn't wasn't really good. I think I came on for probably about twenty minutes or something like that and. Um, um we just we were just massively on the back foot right from the word go um you know and i think they were preparing for a um an fa cup final actually i think it might be in the season that they played yeah, that's right. in, yeah. in the fa cup final yeah um and they were really really at it i have to say there was people that you could tell that were kind of really playing for for places in that fa cup final team yeah. um, and you could kind of sense that and with everything that had happened unfortunately for for us, we just we just didn't turn up on the day, and and then obviously you know the injured players it kind of took the toll. The, sorry, the ill players, um, it, it most definitely took the toll. Just a final question on it, and after the game, what is that like in the dressing room? Because there's not another game to come, so there must be a real dejected feeling, and then you just go away for the summer break. I mean, how much time was there to reflect on the back of that game in the dressing room? Was there much time at all? No, I don't think there was any. Um, from what I can remember. Um, we went pretty much straight on our uh, on our holidays, um, which in some ways was probably the the best thing. You know, just just what what can you do? There's nothing else you can kind of do about it. Then um, you go away and you're absolutely gutted on your summer holidays. It's probably all you think about for for weeks. You know, chance to play in the in the Champions League. You know, just just down the drain. Um, so really disappointing. Um, really really disappointing. I have to say and. It uh, wasn't, wasn't a particularly nice summer break, I don't think, for anybody, you know, for anybody connected. Really, really hurt, I suppose, yeah. Definitely did, yeah. Really, moving on from that, and it's one player that you mentioned earlier that I must ask you about. I understand you were quite close to Mark Yates, a player some Spurs fans didn't seem too much of, but as a keen follower of the youth sides, I found him to be a player of real high potential. Why did you think it didn't quite work out for Yatesy? Yeah, I think probably in some ways as well, uh, Yatesy was probably a victim of the influx of, of of players on a lot of money and for a lot of money. Um, I think if you find that um, you know you, players are coming in on on kind of you know for for for, for really big money and, and listen, I suppose at the time me and Doss was. Would, would have been considered that. But I think even after me and Doss kind of signed, the club went again and, and, and was, you know, was was kind of really doubling down and really kind of pushing on. And 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 unfortunately, sometimes what you find happens is that the youth is the ones that drop off the off the end of it, you know, and, and it's an unfortunate thing. And, and it's something that I don't particularly like and I've seen happen. Um, I work in youth development now um, and... Um, you know, really wanting to try and develop young players into getting into the force team, and um, and and sometimes they are put to the back of the queue. When and Yates is probably um, a, a victim of that, as to not getting enough opportunity um, to show what he could do at, at Tottenham. Reedy, in August two thousand sixteen, you did leave Spurs, joining Charlton Athletic. Did you feel the time was right then to move on? And I think you've already kind of mentioned what caused you to leave the club in terms of a lack of game time. So just at that time, was there any other clubs that kind of came in for you just before Charlton? Yeah, there was a couple. Um, Sunderland, had, uh, Sunderland had just been relegated um, and um, Niall Quinn was managing them at the time and I think was chairman as well. 
and he rang me and asked me if I'd wanted to go there. And I said, you know, I've got other offers from from Premier League clubs there, um, and, and I would like to stay in in, in the Premier League. Um, and and you know, again, a little bit like I felt when I moved to Tottenham, there wasn't a decision to be made. That was what I wanted to do. I, I knew that I wasn't going to get the t- game time I needed. I think I was what was twenty three or twenty four or something like that at the time. I felt like I was in me, you know, really in my good years, and and I just wanted to play football. I wasn't prepared to, you know, sit in someone's sit on someone's bench um, for for a year or two years or, or playing playing the reserves. I just didn't want to do that. I just wanted to play football, and you know, as much as as, as I did enjoy it at the club, and and you know, felt really welcomed there. You know, I wasn't prepared to kind of sit on the bench and, and, and not really develop as a player. Um, I spoke to Ian Dowie, who, um, you know, he called me and asked me if it was something that I, I would be interested in doing. And, and he told me what he was kind of trying to rebuild there after Alan Corbisley had left and did I want to be part of it. And, you know, it felt like, you know, the right thing to do. And, uh, and I, you know, I don't regret it for a second. You know, I went to Charlton and had a couple of years there and we suffered a relegation, which was really, really hard to take. But um, again, really enjoyed my time there. Some fantastic people, real kind of family club. Um, They they, they really looked after me while I was there. So um, again, it was a bit of a, it was disappointing um, that I hadn't quite walked out as I would, would have liked it to walk out at Tottenham. You know, I would have loved them to play two, three, four hundred games for the club. Um, um, but football isn't isn't a fairy tale always that you kind of want it to be. Sometimes it is. And, and I suppose my fairy tale ending was probably going back and finishing my career with Forrest and um, and kind of, you know, playing some of the best football that I played towards the end of my career. And that was my fairy tale. Um, unfortunately for me, my fairy tale wasn't, um, wasn't at Tottenham. Um, and... Uh, you know, and as I said to you earlier on, I wish you know it would been great if I had it turned out a little bit different. But I don't regret for one minute um, the the times that I spent there. You know, kind of wearing that shirt, um, scoring the goal that I did score, playing at White Hart Lane in front of them fans who love fantastic attacking football and you know technically gifted players. And I'd like to think that although I didn't give them as many moments as I would have liked, and maybe they would have liked, I'd like to think that I gave them a couple to. To, to remember me, boy. You certainly did. And I, I was going to ask you about your sort of overall gliding memories, but you sort of answered my, my question. So I'm going to ask you another one. And that would be, who would you say is a character that maybe we as Spurs fans don't hear about, but you felt was, you know, a top guy that sort of bonded the squad to that? One that you, that you, that you didn't really hear about. You know, it's difficult, and I know everybody has said it, but it's, it, it, it's difficult, and I know everybody knows this, and it's not one that we haven't heard about. But for me, Ledley, um, I can't speak highly enough of the guy. Um, honestly, I really can't. And I know you're probably looking for somebody, that, you know, that I'm kind of that people maybe haven't heard of. But for me, the person who 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 is that Mr. Tottenham, and you know, and 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 had the up most respect of everybody of every single player that we that played there every single player that he played against everybody knew how good he was but then couple that with the with the personality that he's got and the guy that he is and the type of person that he is um a really really top guy and it's great to see him you know he's involved in some of the coaching now and, and i've seen him um uh, that, that he's been an ambassador since he since he's retired and for me there is no better ambassador or no better figurehead for the club, um, for somebody who 
um, for somebody who represents everything that Tottenham is about um, than Ledley. So for me, oh no, it's probably not the answer to the question that you were looking for. And you've probably heard this about Ledley loads of times, but uh, you know, you asked me the question of who was that person. Um, and for me, it's, it's, it's Ledley and you can't look past that. Well, there you go. Phenomenal there, memories, like I say, we're going through with the wonderful Andy Reid. We're going to go for a final break. When we return, we're going to get Andy's thoughts on Daniel Levy, the improvement of the club since Andy's departed, Maurizio Pochettino, Jose Mourinho, a question on Troy Parrott. How can we not have Andy on and not ask him about Troy Parrott? And also, like I say, the best player Andy played with at Tottenham. Do not go anywhere. We are back after our final break of the show. Hello, everyone. It's Anna from Spurs XY. And welcome back to the Spurs Women's segment here on The Last Word on Spurs. It was Women's Football Weekend again this weekend, which is crazy to think that only a year ago, roughly, we had the North London derby, the biggest selling crowd at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium for a women's game. And oh my goodness, I can't believe that was roughly a year ago because honestly, what has 2020 done to us? Because everything feels so long ago. Anyway, I diverge. Uh, We played against Bristol City today away and I was really, really hoping that we'd get three points because quite frankly, we didn't start the the league campaign. Well, to be honest, any other game either. Um, Too well, we had four losses and two draws on our record. So I was really hoping to add a win to that. Because we really need to kickstart the season, even though we're definitely not at the beginning of it anymore. However, unfortunately, that didn't happen. We ended up drawing 2-2 today. Um, It was a bit of an up and down. It was an interesting game. Not always. Uh, There were some boring moments, I must add. But um, all right, let's just get into it. It was a strong lineup. We saw Morgan starting, which was very exciting. You could definitely hear her. She was really commanding in the first half. Um, She almost got scoring as well, but unfortunately she couldn't find the back of the net. It was really nice to see her out there. Unfortunately, she got subbed at half-time, I guess, fatigue and and whatnot. The conditions weren't the best, really. There were a lot of um, injuries and just the ball wasn't moving along nice. It was a very wet day anyway. Um, Hello, England. But, uh, yeah, so it was was sad that I didn't see, like, a full 90 minutes from her, to be fair. I didn't expect it. It was just sad to see her go off at half-time. But, anyway, uh, it was still nice to see her start. First half, we dominated pretty much. Um, we had a lot of possession, but didn't really create anything. Like We were kind of sloppy in the last final third. We weren't sharp enough to get to the goal. We were doing a lot of backwards and sideways passing. So it was reminiscent of old Tottenham, um, both men and women. Uh, it was just, it just wasn't really good. We had plenty of the ball, but Bristol were very content in soaking up the pressure and letting us do pretty much nothing with it. And then they got... A penalty out of nowhere. I mean, not out of nowhere, but just pretty much against the run of play in the middle of the first half. They scored from the spot, so they went one nil up. And I was kind of disappointed and really worried because we haven't really been that good at, at coming back from um, losing positions this season. But we did. Um, a lovely equaliser from Siri Wharton. She is fantastic at free kicks and just delivered another fantastic free kick today. Uh, if you have the opportunity to, I would highly recommend watching that free kick. Um, you can find it on Twitter, I'm sure, somewhere. I found it on the Spurs Women's site. But yeah, it was fantastic and we, we went level. I thought that was a lot more deserved. We took that into the break and I think that was much better. Second half was a bit quiet, I must say. Um, there were a lot of quiet moments and... It seemed a bit stale at the beginning. As I said, there were a lot of injuries. Um, so it just kind of broke up the game. And then 
Ashley Neville delivered again. She scored another header this time. So it was fantastic. We were leading 2-1. Totally turned the game around. I thought, you know, this is it. Let's just... Game management. It's just so important. You know, both men and women teams just need to learn so much about game management. I think the men were starting to get better at it. I'm not saying it's always perfect. Um, Like the West Ham game, I was saying wasn't the best. But, you know, that's just... You know, it's schoolboy stuff. You you go up and then you just defend. You do simple passing football. You don't try and do anything fancy. You just go with it. But no, um, we, we couldn't do the simple stuff. And Rihanna Dean just... Oh, I don't know why she had to do what she had to do. But there was a challenge with the keeper. And they both got really injured. And eventually she got sent off so we were down to 10 men still leading 2-1 you know it's not the end of the world we're getting towards the end of the game even though there was like a looming presence of quite a few minutes added on I still thought that we could get away with it you know we just had to be really organized and just you know see the game out but unfortunately that didn't happen we kind of fell apart we were down to 10 men Bristol kept pushing because they were home and they just needed the points as well as we did and then they find an equaliser. Equalizer. Excuse me, I can't talk tonight, apparently. Um, they found an equaliser and it was 2-2. And that was really devastating. We had the chance to grab a winner a couple minutes after their equaliser. And I really thought that was in the back of the net, but it wasn't. So, yeah, it was just such a sucker punch because it was really good that we finally, we bounced back from the, dis- the taking the, getting, yeah, goal down. I'm sorry, I really am sorry. Going a goal down. And uh, and then coming two bomb back up, two lovely goals as well. So that was really exciting. But unfortunately, we just couldn't control the game at the end. So it's disappointing. And unfortunately, uh, it means that Rihanna Dean is going to miss three games. She's going to miss the Arsenal game, the Villa game and the Brighton game. That wasn't necessarily the right order. But alas, uh, it's just it's not what we needed. We didn't need our striker to miss these games. And yeah, so Arsenal up next, I think. But either way, yeah, I'm never high hopes of that. So it's just it's just so disappointing. I'm sure you can hear it in my voice. It's just really frustrating and disappointing. So you know what? I'm just gonna leave it at that. And um, you know what? Until next week. Come on, you Spurs. Hello and welcome back to the final part of the last word on Spurs. Joined by the wonderful Andy Reid during this international break and the brilliant John Wenham from Lee White Rose. Andy, you mentioned him during the show, Daniel Levy, and you did say yourself that, you know, Daniel is a chairman that polarises opinion between other chairmen, supporters, you know, people that come into contact with Daniel. And I think it's fair to say this summer, um, the investment that Daniel was brought into this Spurs squad, I think has maybe changed the opinion of him. Of course, we had the Amazon documentary, which we had the pleasure of collaborating with Amazon on. And I think that's like say maybe the overall picture of Daniel has slightly changed in the process of this summer. So what's your overall memories, Andy, of dealing with Daniel? Of course, that crazy deadline day move must have been part of the, the package. But what was that like for you dealing with Daniel? Yeah, I, I always found him. I, I, did, I wouldn't have said I had loads of dealings with him. Um, you know, spoke to him um, a few times. Um, I always found him very, very astute. You could tell that he was very, uh, very intelligent and very articulate in everything that he tried to do. Um, and uh, you know, I, I went. I mentioned it earlier on, and I think it's probably important to kind of go over it again. For me, the biggest thing that Daniel Levy has done for the football club is help implement and help build the infrastructure at the club. Um, 
I can't stress to you how important having the good facilities are, having the right brand, which he's kind of changed the branding. And, you know, and obviously I know he had help with that, but he's the driving force behind behind all that. You know, the new stadium, um, yeah, okay, puts you into a bit of death and you, you kind of have to... Um, you kind of have to kind of start to claw that back a little bit while keeping the team competitive. I understand that, but but what it does is it just takes you onto the upper echelons of 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 world football, of world club football, um, and and that's what Daniel has has brought to. Um, and obviously, I know you know the owners and um, other people who've kind of invested in it, and I know that they've put a lot of money into it as well. But the driving force behind it and the one with the vision and the one with, who, who's really, really pushed this all along is Daniel Levy. And it honestly does, I, 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 I do understand why people would have a go about the player situation and wanting to spend millions and millions and millions. But honestly, if, if you gave me um, money to spend on a football club, the first thing that I would go and do is build a fantastic facility for the training facility to develop your own players. So to develop your academy players and to make them better. The players that you bring in on transfers, um, you still need to make them better. You know, Don't bring them in and think right there that they're the finished article. Bring them in and try and develop them and to have a facility that's top, top notch to be able to um, implement that is so, so vital. He's provided that. When you go to the stadium for your match day experience, and I know fans can't experience that anymore, but where better in the world can you go for a match day experience than Tottenham Hotspur Stadium? You know, there's probably not a better one. And and I know it will take a little bit of time to start to feel the history of it. And, and that has only built up over years and years and years, what was built up at White Hart Lane. And, you know, when you see the cockerel on the top of the stand at the old White Hart Lane, you know, and it will take time for that to happen in the new stadium. But it has to be done. You have to bring the club into the into, into modern times and really develop it. And, and that's what Daniel has brought. That's the legacy that he has within the football club. And it can, honestly, from somebody who's been played you know at, at, at football clubs and come through and, and you know had a lot of time in football and now I'm working in football as a coach I can't understate the importance of having um all them things and uh, the infrastructure and the uh, and all them things that Daniel Levy has ha, has built up um, along with a lot of help from other people don't get me wrong I'm not saying that he's done it all on his own but he's been the real driving force and um and and, and probably in my opinion doesn't get the credit he deserves um you know in my opinion and everybody's entitled to to their own opinion and i do understand why people think differently but maybe that's people who don't understand how important it is to have that real kind of structure and the, the facilities and that you know that real kind of top top club feel and that's what tottenham has now that it didn't have when i signed there yeah that's really interesting because i was going to ask you sort of from Going in at Chigwell every day, where the training ground was at the time, Spurs Lodge, does the improvement surprise you at all in, in terms of how far Tottenham have come in such a short period of time? Yeah, well, um, it's a, <laughs> yeah, it does surprise me because, you know, I mentioned earlier on about when Daniel Levy showed us the plans for the training ground and the plans for the new stadium. And he kind of walked out of the room. And, and, and I don't mean this disrespectfully to him for one minute at all because I would never be disrespectful to him. But he kind of walked out and I kind of thought, yeah, because if that's going to happen, you know what I mean? Now, look, <laughs> who's the fool, <laughs> you know, um, me. 
for for kind of not believing uh, in in that vision. Um, he's brought that vision to life, you know, and it's 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 phenomenal. Honestly, is phenomenal. Uh, Tottenham is the envy of so many clubs. Um, you know, they look at they've taken over so many clubs for having the best training ground now, yeah. the best stadium, and it's 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 vital. It to be a top club, you have to have. Um, all the trappings and all the things that go with it. You have to. Totally agree. Now, one of the men, to be fair, that has helped us as part of this journey is Maurizio Pochettino. I know many will feel that without Pochettino, we wouldn't have got to Jose Mourinho. So the question I want to ask you, Andy, is looking from the outside, what did you make of Maurizio Pochettino's time at the club? And also, to kind of once you've answered that, what have you made of Jose Mourinho's time so far? Will he be the man to bring the trophies out as fans we desperately crave? And you talk us through, like I say, Pochettino to Mourinho. What your thoughts have been from an outsider on that? Well, you know, if I were to look at Pochettino and what he's done, I think it was absolutely phenomenal. Um, I think there was a big culture shift in in, in mentality um, when he went in um, and he, he really started to instill a winning mentality and a winning philosophy within the club that at times maybe... Uh, maybe wasn't wasn't always there in a real kind of steady way. It was a little bit up and down at times, and he brought a real steady winning mentality to the team um, and a successful mentality to the team. Um, and me, obviously, being you know being a coach now, and and I'm and I'm really really interested in coaching philosophies and um, and how to get the best out of players, how players best learn, and um, how can you improve players. And, and that was one thing that jumped out at me with, with Pochettino. He improved players. Um, I, I think there's too much of, at the moment, players, managers want to sign players that are kind of ready-made and there you go, go out and play. You know, why not earn your money and bring in players and develop them and kind of make them better? That's, um, that's my opinion on it. And I thought Pochettino was, was, was absolutely fantastic at that I really think he was fantastic at that players that he that he not just that he brought in but players that he inherited um, that were already at the club really really improved them and helped take them to the next level and for me that's what coaching is all about it's not necessarily you know you need to have their marquee signings um, to be a top club I totally get that but you also have to develop players um, as well and make players better don't think there's anybody better that I've seen um, than, than Pochettino at that. And you can't help but think soon he'll all come back into management because he's just too good to be out of it. And then obviously I want to ask you, Jose Mourinho. I mean, it was actually a crazy whirlwind, 24-48 hours for us as Spurs fans, to see this turnaround. We sacked Pochettino, brought in Mourinho, and we're actually recording this show during the anniversary period of this chain of events. It's a year ago. It feels like, oh God, it feels like now, such an age ago this was happening. But what did you make of Jose Mourinho, Andy? You know, this serial winner who's won everything in the game, different countries, he's won it all, coming to Tottenham. What does the future hold for Jose Mourinho and Tottenham as a marriage? What do you see happening there? Well, it's funny because, you know, you talk about Pochettino and Mourinho's been very, very successful, but in a very, very different way. And it was almost, again, another culture shift. Um, and managers were, were two very kind of different ways of going about it. Um, I have to say my eyebrows were raised because I never thought that Jose Mourinho's style of football correlated with the Tottenham way, so to speak. Now, you know, 
me being having been a technical player, I love my teams to play really, really good football. But when you're at the business end of football and you're playing first team football and you're at the top end of the Premier League, uh, the business is to win. And what you find is that Jose Mourinho invariably wins. Um, and maybe it's just exactly what Tottenham need at this time. You know, he's assembled a really, really strong squad. Um, well, when I say assembled, a lot of the players have, have been there and he's added little bits and pieces to it um, as, as, as they've gone along. And they're most certainly a force to be reckoned with. Um, you know, and then, you know, obviously you know how well Harry Kane is playing and he looks like he's added a different dimension to his game, which is great to see. He's almost playing in a 10 position and, 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 and doing it unbelievably well where you kind of think to yourself, come on, Harry. <laughs> um, that's, it's phenomenal, really phenomenal to see. Um, and Jose has obviously been a part of that. And, and, and then, you know, the obvious one that you look at with, with Gareth Bale and you think, I mean, if he's that's really firing, there's got, there has to be, you know, there's, there's, you can see most definitely a top four finish there. And if you get into a real good win and run, um, you know, why not have a shot at, at going for the title? You know, and, and you probably at this stage maybe just whisper that. You know, maybe whisper it, not shout we're, it from We're trying the... to keep very calm ahead on this show yeah. for the last no, couple of weeks. No, but, no, but I mean, not, you know, yeah, not, you're not right. you're right. from, from, you're from right. the you're rooftops, right. but maybe just in a quiet little way, mm. um, if, if if Jose can do that, mm. <laughs> um, just 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 go along under the radar a little yeah. bit and find out where you are going into kind of, you know, February, March time. And, and, then, and then who knows? You know, who knows? The quality of player... And the, 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 the winner mentality and quality of the manager. Um, I mean, it'd be, it'd be great for them to, to kind of really make an assault on it and really kind of have a go at it. So very, very contrasting between um, Pochettino and Mourinho, but very, very interesting. And I look at the different tactical kind of changes and the different things that they're trying to do is in the different styles of play. And, um, and uh, it, it's really, really interesting to see the differences in, in, in the same players kind of trying to do very, very different things to what they were doing maybe, you know, 18 months, two years ago when they were getting to Champions League finals. But now they're getting success, but they're doing it a different way. You know, there's not one way to play football. There's not one way to win football games. There's not one way to win trophies. And there's loads of different ways to do them. And when you're lifting the cup or you're lifting the league title, nobody turns around and says, oh, yeah, but they've done it this way. They just lift it up and they say we're champions. And It's, uh, it's funny you say that, Anne, because I say at the moment with Spurs, I still think there's a bit of a divisive um, feeling around the style of football. And maybe, like I say, if we continue to win games and grind out the results, maybe that feeling will you know, start to change amongst some of the fans. But just to finish up on this point before I bring John back in, um, trophies, you mentioned them there. Will they happen during Jose Mourinho's time at Tottenham? Do you believe Spurs will finally break this trophy drought and have a trophy during his period at the club? Yeah, I'd be very, very surprised if, if they didn't. Um, what trophy that is, I couldn't tell you. Um, you know, it could be the Premier League. It could be the League Cup. But, I'm, you know... Just don't say the fair play league. We'll be all right. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the Peace Cup on again. <laughs> we might have to pull you back out there. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I would be surprised if if there isn't some sort of silverware under Mourinho. Um, I have to say, I would be be very, very surprised. Uh, I think with the players that Tottenham have got, they could be an extremely good cup team. Um, 
and you know Mourinho loves the Europa League. Um, you know, so I, I I I would most definitely see um, see see Tottenham winning some sort of silverware on the Mourinho. We're gonna have to hold you to that one, mate. We've waited a long, long time. I tell you. I yeah, know. Oh, one other player I must ask you about in your youth work uh, and work with Ireland is uh, Jamie Bowden. He's a player I really rate highly. Um, what can you tell us about him? Is he a player that you see going on to play for Tottenham and also your island setup? I think you should be getting excited about um, Troy is one of them that I'm the under 18 head coach and Troy was absolutely phenomenal for the under 17s kind of so phenomenal that he kind of leapfrogged me <laughs> so um, I never really got to walk with him um, but uh, seeing him play kind of lots you know and really kind of followed his career and 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 and, and see what a, what a top player he could be um it, it it is one of them that you know i would urge kind of people to just not throw too much pressure on him you know just just you know let him develop let him work with the people that he needs to work with to help his development, try and help keep his feet on the ground, which which I'm sure he which I'm sure he will. And and then he can be wherever he wants to be. You know, the the, the, the sky's the limit um for him. He's got that much ability. He's, he's a he's a natural born finisher. His movement's great. He's clever. He comes from inner city in Dublin. Um and you know having come from kind of a pretty pretty working class area in Dublin myself, you know, and, and I'd like to think that I had a little bit of an edge to me. He's got that little bit of an edge as well, which for me to be a top, top player, um, you need to have that little bit of an edge, which which Troy has, which for me, I think will will really, really help him um, in, his, in his development and help him kind of be successful. You know, you need that real strong mentality to kind of, be able to brush off the disappointments and bounce back from it. And probably a striker needs them maybe more than, than anything. You know, if you miss a chance, you're brave enough to really stick your neck out and, and, and kind of get the next one and put it away. And, and, and I think Troy has that. So I think, yeah, most definitely a lot to be excited for, but still, uh, you know, a, a, a long way to go um, for him as well. Off air, and I'm sure our listeners would love to hear, uh, is Jamie Bowden. He's a guy that's been called up for the Ireland under-19 squads. Is he one that Ireland are really excited about moving forward? Yeah, he's, he's somebody that, that we've been been tracking for a while. I'd planned on having him in on, on one of my squads and, and he was injured. Um, so unfortunately, I couldn't get him in. Um, and then his kind of age group lapsed then with me by the time he was fit. And Tom Mowen, who's the under-19 manager, took him in. Um, with him and and he's 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 been he, he he's done okay you know he's done not bad we can we can see the technical ability that we've got he's he, he's he's a, he's a lovely shape he's, he looks like a footballer and probably I would suggest maybe go forward and that he looks like a Tottenham footballer um you know what big you words, would big words yeah no but what you would yeah, look for in in, yeah. in in a Tottenham player um he he, he kind of Ticks, ticks a lot of them boxes. So again, another one that I would suggest, yeah, be excited for, but a long, long way to go for these players, you know, to to really push themselves in to be competing with some of the quality um, midfielders and forwards um, that, are, that are at Tottenham at the moment, you know, so you have to be very, very special to be able to go in and compete and, and really get the manager to kind of say, you know, yeah, give these guys a chance. But but for me, um, you know, as as a coach of young players, and I'm trying to develop the the under twenty three as a forest as well, um, as doing my Ireland role. 
Um, I love to see the young players being given an opportunity because I think the only way you find out if they can handle it is by giving them an opportunity. And, you know, and you can kind of speak to managers and speak to, um, uh, you know, speak to the managers of the football club they are and really try and push these players forward and, 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 and really believe in them. Um, and, and it'd be great to see some of them young players be, be given an opportunity. If I can ask you, Anne, very quickly before we finish up, just on Troy, um, do you see this loan that he's got now, the chance that once that loan finishes, he can come back and generally compete with Tottenham? Or do you think, is it still too early to kind of tell at the moment with Troy in terms of that development with Millwall? Um, I would like to see him get a load of games under his belt and start getting a load of goals. You know, it'd be nice at the you know at the end of the season if he stays at Millwall till the end of the season. I think it's a season-long loan, isn't it? He's there. Um, would I be right in saying that, or is it January? I'm not. I'm not too sure on that. But um, it'd be nice to see him get you know 25 games in, and you know, and get 10, 12 goals. Be, be be really nice to see that. And if you do that, then you're starting to look into the territory of okay, he's shown that he can do it. Albeit at Championship level, he's shown that he can do it against men week in, week out. And now let's start to integrate him. And can we give him um, more game time? Um, so. You know, I think he's you know he's got he's got an opportunity there at Millwall to go and um, to, to to go and express himself and to go and you know really stake a claim and and make the manager back at Tottenham sit up and go oh actually you know Troy's doing really really well yeah we need him involved for next preseason and and then he's going to get his opportunity so the ball's in his court you know which is which is the same with 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 the majority of footballers it's up to them then to be able to go and produce. Totally agree. And just to finish up, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Always, that like I say, this question seems to get a very popular answer. Who was the best player that you played with during your time at the club? Spurs being, of course. Um, well, you know, off, 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 if, off, if Robbie's off. listening, it's more upsetting, though. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, listen, the, tr- the three that really jump out at me, and we've spoke about them quite a bit, would be... Um, would be Ledley, uh, Michael Carrick, and Robbie. You know, and, and obviously I know Robbie and um, uh, really, really well for Ireland stuff. We've done a pro license not long ago um, together as well, um, which was great. Uh, so you know, Robbie is obviously kind of really, really up there for me, and um, and then it's a difficult one. Then it's almost a toss up between between Ledley and Michael Carrick. I don't know if I can kind of. Pick one. I've got to be honest with you. Um, yeah. Maybe, maybe you know, I'm, I'm Michael because of what he went on to do at Manchester United. You kind of say, okay, with the career that he had and what he went on to win. But I mean, Ledley King, <laughs> and, and the fact that he's, he's, you know, he's, he's such a diamond of a guy as well. Just, just makes him even higher in the estimations. You know, really does. So. Them three would be the three best players. Um, ask me to pick one. I would. Really, really struggle if I'm being totally honest with you. So sorry. We'll let you off. Uh, we'll let you off. Yeah, I'm going to have to sit on the fence a little bit on that. Absolutely, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. How much are you enjoying, Anne, very quickly your work with Ireland? How much are you enjoying that role at the moment? Yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. I'm learning loads. Um, I've just completed my pro license, which has been a great learning for me. Um, and you know, so I'm loving the Ireland stuff, and I'm also loving um, my my role with Forest Under Twenty Trees at the moment as well. And uh, as we we mentioned earlier, ex um, Tottenham legend just come in and taken over um, at Forest and Chris Uton. So yeah. it's been been great to kind of. Um, speak with him again. I hadn't spoken to him for quite a while, but to be able to speak to him and and I'm I'm, I'm loving trying to help to develop 
these players come through the same pathway that I came through and, you know, lend some of my experience at the same time, trying to get better as a coach, uh, trying to really delve into, um, into what makes young players tick and how to develop them and how they learn and how I can best give them an opportunity to be successful and, and to, to have the experience that I had in football, um, which is a phenomenal, you know, phenomenally honoured and lucky to have had a career in football. And, and, and I want that for every single player that I work with. It doesn't happen for every single player, but I'll do everything I can to make sure that I give them the best opportunity so they can experience some of the things that I experienced throughout my career. And that's lovely words. It's great words. And from me, it's been an absolute pleasure. Absolutely wonderful having you on the last one on Spurs. Finally getting you to come and tell us your Spurs journey. I'm sure, John, you reckon those thoughts as well, but it's been a pleasure to have Andy on. Yeah, you've been absolutely excellent, Andy. I'm sure our fans are really looking forward to hearing this back, and I've really enjoyed reminiscing on some of the old times of you and hearing about some of the future players. So good luck for everything with your future, and uh, I hope our crafts, paths will cross again. No, listen, absolutely, guys. It's been a pleasure, and it's brought. It really has brought back some. some sorry, some to, sorry to age you 10, 15 years, and by making you go back and relive all this. Yeah, no, 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 but honestly, it has. It's been lovely, and, and probably, as we mentioned earlier, don't get the time to kind of think about, you know, some of the really nice things and the nice times. It was, as I mentioned earlier, always a, a, an honour and a pleasure to, to represent the football club. So to talk about it again um, and bring back some of their memories of some of the, the really good times was, was a pleasure chatting to these guys. So thanks for, thanks very much for having me. There you go, guys. The wonderful Andy Reid on the last word on Spurs. Listen, keep well, keep safe, and as always, come on, you Spurs. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.